Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. We are brought to you, we are a part of the Inspired Disorder Collective. Uh, follow at Ray Taylor on Twitter and join the InspiredDisorderCollective.com. Follow our group um, and join our group. Go to www.facebook.com forward slash the sample hour. Also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Drew Sample. Follow my brother at Clever, Clever Wes and follow at the sample hour on Twitter. We have a very special guest today, somebody who I've been in contact with for quite a while now, since the beginning of the podcast. And you can follow them at, is it, it's at Death W Dignity? That's correct. Death W Dignity on Twitter. And Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash death with dignity. And uh, my special guest today is Melissa Barber. How are you doing today, Melissa? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, not a problem. Not a problem. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny when people call the show because I don't, I'm really, literally just sitting in my bedroom. <laughs> computer on Skype. But it's like, that's kind of the cool thing about like the internet and independent media in general. Like nobody... I feel like I, like something that like really is like powerful for me with death with dignity. Um, and I actually want to talk to you about it. I got some some questions to ask you, but like it's it's not something you're gonna hear on the radio. And if it is, it's I, f- I feel like they're gonna try and like I, it's just like it's such a, a taboo topic. I think that I feel like a lot of people are gonna try to miss uh, misstrued what it is, and they always jump to conclusions. They're always and it's it's they they put this phony morality to kind of combat it. And it's, uh, it really bothers me. So, so if you wouldn't mind, like just kind of expanding for my listeners who might not know about your guys's movement and just, just, or have never seen the movie, like how to die in Oregon. Uh, mm-hmm. if you could explain what death identity is for people, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Oregon and Washington have these uh, groundbreaking laws that allow terminally ill people who are of sound mind uh, with, without – they're able to make their own medical care decisions. They're able to request medication to hasten their death uh, from their doctors. There's a long request process. Uh, it's actually – so you it's a three-step process. A person has to make a verbal request to their doctor for the medication, and then they have to wait 15 days before they can make the second verbal request and written request. And the written request has to be witnessed by two people. Um, and then they are able to then get a, a prescription from their doctor that they can decide whether or not even to fill it. Uh, and if they fill it, they can also decide whether or when to take the medication. Uh, most people really just find it it's a as a comforting thing that at a time of their life when they've completely lost so much control over their lives, they, they suddenly have complete control over the timing and manner of their deaths. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, when I was talking to Daniello, Daniele Bellelli about it, um, it really, like something he said to me is like, it's really the ultimate freedom to yeah. choose the way you go out. And I, and I think it's, uh. It's just so powerful. I mean, uh, like when I, when I really got turned on to your movement was uh, how to die in Oregon, and and like somebody had, like had talked about it, and they, he was just like, it was a guy I was working with. He's like, man, I, I just couldn't watch it because I just kept crying. And I, yeah, <laughs> and the, it can be a hard movie to watch, but you know, in the end, I, I've watched it, gosh, I think three times now. I've I find it really life affirming almost, uh, just because she she died with such dignity and grace. I mean, she also just had so much dignity and grace to begin with. (laughs) 
but it just was so wonderful and so generous of her and her family to share their experience, this very intimate personal experience with so many people. I'm just internally grateful to Cody Curtis for doing that. Yeah, I, uh, man, it was, it was, it was brave too. Like, I mean, like she, it was, it was just like the way she told her family, like, like something what you said, like about dignity, like, man, it's like, it's hard to not like talk about it and get kind of teary eyed. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's like, it's like, it's really sad, but it's also really beautiful because like she was just a normal person who was just like, you know, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I'm not going to suffer just to live an extra two lot, two months. Like it's, it's not worth it. Like, right. Rather enjoy my time with my family and go out on my own terms. And, and I, and also like then, um, what was the lady's name in, uh, in Washington who was just like moved by what happened to her husband? Like she was too. Yeah, Nancy Nijelski, she's just a, a pretty incredible advocate and was a, one of the, the spokespeople during the Washington campaign. And just being so open in telling people her story with her husband and, and how he wanted to be able to use a law like Oregon had, but he lived in Washington, so he couldn't. Uh, and it was, it was just, it was so hard on her, but she, she used that experience or, or took that experience and, and brought it to Washington voters to help them understand why these laws have to be in every state. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's so port- important. And like, what, like, what do you think, what, like, why do you think there's such a, a push against like death? Like, what do you think? Like, do you think it's just like old thinking or do you think it's like just kind of like a, a traditional morality that people don't understand or a traditional thought process that that people haven't really like looked at critically? And they're just kind of ra- using ras- rationalization to kind of I, I don't know, like it's, it's really hard to explain what I'm. What I'm yeah. Yeah. So it, I found that people who oppose death with dignity laws tend to fall into one of two camps. Uh, one of them is they oppose it based on their own personal uh, religious beliefs, and they will never change their mind because they just feel that it is wrong to be able to control the time of your death. Um, and then the other group of people are people who have been misled. That makes sense. Melissa? And what they do and don't allow. Yeah. Okay, sorry. We just had a little bit of bragging there. The last thing I heard was they've been misled. Yours. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> I, feel, I feel so much better about that. I was like, son of a gun. I pay, I pay like, I, I seriously, like, I changed my internet to pay for the most internet, like the highest yeah. speed internet. And it still is like, but nobody's in the house. So I was like, oh, man. <laughs> And then it cut out, and I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, maybe it wasn't me this time." No, that was me. Skype just stopped. I don't. Yeah, know. <laughs> we need to find. I need to find a better system. But Skype is so popular and easy to use, but it yeah. it's yeah. still kind of glitchy. It's you know, it's the 21st century. Nothing's <laughs> polished off yet, Melissa. And eventually, we'll be able to do this stuff VoIP easily. But uh, right. so, anyways, as you were saying about anyway. people, yeah, people being misled. Um, yeah. Um, so then what I find is there's a whole other group of people who are, are misled often by people who oppose these laws by for their own religious reasons. They come up with these wild and crazy stories to scare people into not wanting to support these laws. Um, 
and they they completely gloss over the fact that this law has been in Oregon now for 16 years and Washington for five, and there's not been a single incident of abuse. There's been no effort to extend these laws, and they, they just work. And we have 15 years of, of data to look at that, that show that it works. Yeah, that's that's really powerful. Do you, do you think, uh, like, what do you think of, um, like, how do you think Jack Kevorkian, because I think a lot of people get the two confused. Yes, absolutely. And he he probably was more heading towards euthanasia. Um, actually, what the last one, the last patient that really got him in trouble and landed him in jail was the one that um, he videotaped injecting medication to hasten the patient's death. And under these laws, there's, there's never an injection involved. Never. Uh, the patient has to be able to ingest the medication themselves. They decide whether or not to take it. Uh, it's completely in, in the patient's hands. And so, yeah, there's, there is a lot of confusion. And I think Kevorkian definitely raised people's consciousness about thinking of how to control the manner and timing of our deaths. But uh, he did it in such a flamboyant and challenging way that I think it it sometimes really hurt the work that our organization did. And it also kind of seemed like he had an ulterior motive. It, it seemed like, like I, I remember watching Kevorkian as a kid and like, and I think he, sometimes I felt like he was being over the top to kind of prove a point. Yeah. But at the same time, it like, it was a little, I think it, it came off a lot as like, this guy's just crazy. And, <laughs> I, and then like, I saw some of his art recently and I was like, oh, his, his art was a little bit spooky. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, how did you get involved with death and with death? Blah, blah, blah. Let me try that again with English. I do it all the time when I ask. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, how did how did you get involved with with death with di- Wow, I can't. I still can't say. Let me, let's try it again. Death with dignity. There we go. Well done. <laughs> I'm practicing speech with dignity right now. But how did you get involved? Like, like, um, because. Like you do a lot for the organization. Like, um, like actually, do you want to say like what all you do for for Death with Dignity and how you got involved? Yeah, you bet. So the work that I do with our organization is electronic communications. So I manage all of our web content, um, all of our social media presence, and then broadcast emails or or even just a lot of individual constituent emails. Um, gosh, I probably respond to about. A hundred of those a month from people asking about death with dignity or, or students doing research or things like that. So I, I manage all those communications. Um, and how I got involved, gosh, I, I've lived in Oregon for quite a while. And, and the very first election I was able to vote in was 1994. And that was the first year that Oregon had death with dignity on the ballot. And I, I supported it then. I supported it again in 97 when we had to reaffirm our support for our law. Um, and I, I just, I believe in it to my core. Um, I, gosh, I started working for Death with Dignity about three years ago. It's almost three years. Uh, and I was just looking for a, a, a job, <laughs> as it turned out. <laughs> uh, but I was super excited to, to see that they were hiring, and, and I love it. I look What's... forward to being here for a long time. Yeah, it's cool to to work for an organization that has the same values and lives up to those values that you have. 
Yeah. I think yeah. like that's, and it's, and it's good for organizations to have people like you who are going to come and do my podcast and, <laughs> you know what I mean? But in like, in reality, like, cause there's a, I mean, there's a lot of folks that don't have any clue about death with dignity or what that's really about. And, and I, and I even see that, like, like I, per, I'd like to say I'm a, a libertarian or like, I'm, I'm a really big guy on freedom. Like, I don't, like, I don't like everybody that claims to be a libertarian, but th- like nobody touches this issue. Like nobody, like every, like there's so many people and you never hear them touch on this issue. And, and I think it's, it's just kind of shocking to me because it's like, it's a real thing. Like, like for me personally, like, you know, watching my, my uncle who I don't think ever would have taken advantage of the law. Like, I don't think he ever would have, but watching him suffer, like he was in Vietnam and he Basically, he he went through a couple tours of Agent Orange, and then he got these. Uh, he had these weird. He had this weird form of cancer where he had like liquid tumors in his liver, and then oh, wow. and then like he like. Well, I mean, like he 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 was a guy who I learned so much from because like he was he was always in chronic pain, but you would never know it, and he was just so full of love and like I, I had a huge influence on me. And then eventually, like I watched him, and towards the end in hospice, like. He, he jaundice had kicked in and his skin had turned yellow and his scleras and his eyes had turned yellow. And it was just, you know, he went out the way he wanted to, I'd like to believe. Um, and I think he stayed around a lot longer because he kind of felt obligated to his family. Um, but, but also I think he just had a passion to live. And mm-hmm. I, and I think that, and I'm not saying if you use this at all, like if you use death with dignity that you don't have a passion to live at all. Like I don't, I don't want to misconstrue what I'm saying. But like after watching him go what he went through, there needs to be a law in place so people, if they don't want to go through that, they don't have to. And yeah. I think like he suffered a lot towards the end. And, and it was just hard to watch. Like it was hard to see this guy who was always a strong man and who everybody looked up to and then just see him just kind of wither away. And like so for me, like after like living through that and then watching my and then like watching how to die in Oregon and like kind of you know following you guys on Twitter and signing up for your letters and trying to like promote it um or spread awareness with it and my own abilities like i uh there's a point to what I'm saying like that's kind of like why I'm passionate about it like personally yeah and and, and so anyway, sorry. And that's pretty usual. I mean, a lot of people that come to finally even look into these laws uh, or and, and then later come to support them is because they have a personal experience with someone who died. Uh, and unfortunately, they often have a personal experience with someone who died horribly, which is just sad. Um, and people want and need to have more options at the end of their lives. I mean, hospice is great and palliative care can do wonders. But it doesn't always work for everyone. And in a a medical uh, society that is moving towards patient-centered care, they have to understand that they have to listen to the patient's requests to help them die and and help them do it in a a safe, guarded manner that, that makes sure that there's no room for abuse or confusion about whose decision it was, uh, it just, it has to be there. Uh, and I think we're, we're moving more towards that as uh, baby boomers age and start suffering from more age-related illnesses. I think we're going to see a lot more people talking about this issue. Yeah, I, I'd like to think so. So what states right now, like, wasn't, isn't it, um, 
Is it Mar- was Maryland one of the more recent states that you got you were trying to get going? Like, what states right now are are trying to are which states that don't have the law passed are being the most proactive right now to get it passed? So the two states with death with dignity laws are Oregon and Washington, and the we were working very closely with the campaign in Massachusetts last fall, uh, and it it came so close within a percent of passing, which is pretty phenomenal considering they went from a, a state that knew very little about these laws and how they work, oh gosh, about a year and a half ago, to almost passing the first law on the East Coast is pretty phenomenal. Um, so there, Massachusetts is still very active. Vermont is very active. Maine has been actually for a long time. Uh, so a lot, of it, a lot of the activity right now is in New England. Uh, though I've seen bills pop up in Kansas and Hawaii, so it's it's around the the, the country, uh, but I'd say the the biggest concentration is in in New England and on the East Coast. It's interesting that it's like only coastal states that are really like kind of going after it. Like it, like I feel like in the Midwest and like I I don't know in Ohio they kind of I know that I know a few people that have like. They were kind of given the opportunity. They were there. Who's like a good friend of mine, like his mom had passed. It was passing and they kind of gave him the decision like, well, you can you can you can either, you know, we could do a lot of morphine or help them pass. Mm-hmm. But it's I don't think that it's like a. I don't know if it's something that they're supposed to let you do. I'm not really- that actually is legal in every state. Uh, it's sometimes called palliative sedation. Um or, or terminal sedation. That and it, it, the way that that works is it's a very well mapped out process with a person's hospice care provider, and and really not all of them are willing to do it. But as long as a doctor's primary intent is to relieve pain and suffering, uh, if the secondary event or uh, effect is the person dies, it's okay. It's uh, it's just that the person tends to be completely sedated for oh sometimes days before they die, and a lot of people want to be able to like Cody Curtis be completely awake and conversing with people, and then go to sleep and die very quickly. So it's it's basically so that the really nice thing because to get in the hospice there's there's quite a bit of suffering that's already gone on. And yeah. And so it's, it's basically, you know, if you don't want to suffer, like that's, that's the primary difference between that and death with dignity. Like if you know you're going to be suffering versus actually suffering, is that, um, well, it's, it's like the, the medication is administered to the patient under palliative sedation, whereas under death with dignity, the patient decides to take the medication or not. Okay. I'm sorry. I think what I was actually trying to ask, my apologies, Melissa. I'm not the best question asker. Um, What I was trying to ask was, so like with just, just to kind of clarify, and I think we kind of hit on it earlier, but with death with dignity, like what are, so how, how can you qualify? Like what, what allows you to be able to fall under that the law of death with dignity? Like, what conditions do you have to have? Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, so, a person has to have been given a terminal diagnosis with six months or fewer to live. And that diagnosis has to be confirmed by a second doctor as well. Um, 
so so two doctors look at all the the medical history where you're at right now and both think that you probably have six months or fewer to live. Okay. And that's so it's there's no particular illness, uh, but it's it's more of a it's a timing issue, and that reflects actually it's very similar to uh, how getting Medicare to pay for hospice. Another end of life option is if a doctor thinks that you have six months or fewer to live, then then Medicaid and Medicare will pay for hospice. Okay, yeah, that's stuff that I have no clue about. So I think a lot. Of, <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. Um, what uh um, I'm trying to get a flow with these. I'm not. I'm still trying to learn how to be a good interviewer. <laughs> You're doing great. Uh, I mean, I can just kind of fill in a little more time here. Another thing that that's interesting about Oregon's law is, gosh, now that it's it's been in, in effect for 16 years, and the 15 years of data show that now, well, last year, 97% of the people who used Oregon's law were also enrolled in hospice. So they're not. They're not two distinct, separate end-of-life options. They they work together very nicely, and and typically people have help with hospice to control pain. And when it gets to be too much, they can decide to to stop it. That's really cool. So now they're they're so is like death with dignity like pro like is is a lot is hospice kind of reaching out to death with dignity to kind of like make it more proactive or kind of marry the relationship between the two mm, I've seen some of I mean some people do yes um, there's been some well the religious hospices typically won't have any interest in reaching out to us um, but I've also heard some oh, palliative care physicians try and set up a, a false dichotomy of well we have to improve end-of-life care through hospice and palliative care before we ever consider these laws and I I completely disagree, and, and various palliative care doctors completely disagree. You can improve end-of-life options and give people more options at the same time. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think that I think the more options you give to people, the better. I don't, I don't think you have to. Yeah, like, and no one's ever required to use this law. Um, it's completely voluntary for everyone involved, for the for the patient, for the doctor. For the pharmacist, um, if anyone disagrees with it for their own because of their own moral beliefs, it's not a problem. They don't need to use it. It doesn't affect them. Yeah, it's uh, nobody's nobody's threatening you with it. Mm-mm. What do you? So, is there is there still like an even in Oregon and Washington? Is there still like a, a a lot of people who are kind of who kind of come like try to per- end the law, or is it is it pretty much well accepted now? It's well accepted now. Oh, there was a study that came out a year and a half ago, I think, that found 97, yeah, 97% of Oregonians approved of their law. Gosh, is that right? I, no, sorry. I may have the number wrong. Let me see if I can look that up. People can Google it. But it's still a, a huge number of people that um, support it. That support it. And more than when it, for, when it passed in the first place. Now, what can... Um like how, like if, if people wanted to, if people listen to this and for some reason it really resonates with them um, and they want to try to be proactive in their own state, um, like what, what is like the, the best way to go about that? Um, being proactive in their own state, I, it's, you know, it depends on where they're at. Uh, a lot of getting support for these laws is 
talking to people about them and making sure that they understand what they are, what they do and don't allow. It's not euthanasia. Uh, it's not suicide. The person's already dying. They're just deciding the manner and timing of their death, uh, as opposed to a person who has an open-ended lifespan and deciding to, to end their life. That That's more suicide than a person who is dying. Um, so talking to people, hosting viewings of How to Die in Oregon and discussing the film would be another way to help build grassroots support. There are organizations in in states and I encourage people to reach out to me anytime at info at deathwithdignity.org and I'd be happy to talk to 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 people about uh, the organizations in their state and how they can get involved uh, it's also talking to elected officials writing letters explaining why this these laws are important to you that sort of thing okay um, and of course supporting us because yeah. we're a nonprofit <laughs> yeah. make donations Make donations. There, Death of Dignity is always open to donations. <laughs> we are. <laughs> that should be the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> um, now, have there ever been talks of, and I know this is kind of shaky ground, but I just know like, okay, so my grandfather is a guy who, you know, pulled himself up by his bootstraps, can barely read, but he's like a pretty smart guy. And like he... Another guy who's had like a huge influence on me, and he's always told me if he's ever like has Alzheimer's or anything like that, like he or like something where you know that you're slowly going to kind of degrade, um, he's just going to kind of go and end his own life in his own way, and that's just what he's always said. Like, has there ever been talks about like if you have a degenerative brain disease or anything like that that you can have there been talks of like kind of expanding the law for that or not not really not at all it's only if you're terminally ill not at all uh not in the u.s it's it's only for if you're terminally ill okay uh, so it, because it in the u.s under u.s laws it's really a it strictly an end of life option um not not necessarily a quality of life it's just you're dying and you want to be able to decide how that goes okay i was just curious about that because, yeah because i i knew that because i know a lot of people um and i'm not, I'm not trying to say it's right or wrong but i know a lot of people have that mentality of you know if i'm gonna handle it my own way towards the end but it it it, it well, another question i had actually is like how does um is it because they're terminally ill like how does death look did any like affect like life insurance and stuff like that uh it can't affect life insurance. So when a person dies uh, under the Oregon or Washington law, the, the cause of death is the underlying illness. Um, and so life insurance, and actually it says in the law that life insurance cannot be affected by using this law. That's pretty awesome. I like it. That's really awesome, actually. Yeah. Um, because life insurance is typically, I don't think, cover suicide or anything like that. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That's the biggest thing, though, is it is not suicide, and I think that's what's that's what people need to uh, to to get. Which you've already you've already covered that earlier. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I have the numbers. So the study was from 2011, and it found 77% of Oregonians supported the law, and 70% of Washingtonians supported their law. Uh, Washington's Washington's law is much newer, so that high level of support is pretty encouraging to see. So. Sorry to jump back there. Just wanted to uh, actually give you the numbers <laughs> correctly. 
Anyway, so that was actually really helpful. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> what, like, so what, so where are you guys, are you, so are you guys still like really being really proactive in uh, like the East Coast states and New England right now? Yeah, we're working very closely with our partners in Vermont. Uh, they actually have more public hearings coming up. Oh, I think it's maybe, I think it's Wednesday actually. Uh, they have the so the the bill made it through the Senate and now is being considered by the House of Representatives there, and so they'll have public hearings on the tenth to discuss the the bill further. That's pretty exciting. I hope uh, I hope that that really starts to pass, and I hope that that I mean I hope we start to see those states really start to take it and run with it. And and I think we will. I think we'll see even just a lot more activity in the coming years. Every year, I. Already this year, I saw a lot. I tracked the legislative sessions around the country, and I've definitely seen more bills being seriously considered this year than than I have since I've been here. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, so I'm almost out of questions for you, Melissa. <laughs> I, I need to write questions now, and I was like, oh no, Melissa, it's just going to be a conversation, and and it's uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not really doing so well at this today. Oh, you're doing great. Appreciate the uh, the conf- the confidence in me. Uh, <laughs> what, what like what does freedom mean to you? And I, the only reason why I bring that up is just because like this is very much so like a, a topic of freedom and 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 I, I think in in a lot of ways. And so so yeah. So what what is like what what does freedom mean to to you and, and death with dignity in, in general? That's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this absolutely is a, a freedom issue, uh, and that's why it's it's one of the few remaining bipartisan issues still. Uh, people on both sides of the aisle just don't want government involved in their death. Uh, so step out and let me decide what's best for me. <laughs> so it's pretty I, – I really like that this issue is one of the few that still like that. Uh, as far as what freedom means to me, I'd say – being able to do what I want to do without adversely affecting others. Um, I, it's, yeah, pretty simple. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with that. It's, and I think that's what's interesting is because it's, it's, it's the simplicity of freedom. And I think even the simplicity of, of government's just kind of been taken away. And, and like, just something you were saying about earlier with the, the, like some people in hospice are trying to create this 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 like phony dichotomy, like oh well we have to improve pilot and hospice first before we can really consider death with dignity, and I feel like there's always this kind of BS that kind of gets strung into to real issues, and I and I feel like I've, not to get off topic, but it it's kind of a it, like people being against death with dignity is kind of like to me it's it's more of like a symptom of of uh, it's like a symptom of of what's going on right now in our country and in the world is like, I feel like we, instead of focusing on like real things or really trying to get back to kind of like the humane side of things and just try to, you know, look at people as human beings. Like we, we kind of get away from that and there's all these just distractions that come up. Like, like well, and actually have conversations. <laughs> That's the thing that I feel like is really missing in, in the whole political climate is okay. We may disagree, but we can at least talk about it. Can't we? Yeah. A civil dialogue about it. It's not. It doesn't need to be a big fiery debate every time. <laughs> we, we may actually have some common ground. I, 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 are and now, it. I, and I always feel like and and I think a lot of it is is because like people very much so like are, are copycatish and they don't 
I think sometimes people are afraid to actually like form their own opinion. And I, and I don't know why that is. I mean, like there's this guy, uh, Jan Irvin, he's like big on like the trivium and why, and we just haven't really learned how to like properly process information, which I think could be the case. And, but at the same time, it's, it's like, I, I remember before the election, um, this guy, uh, I was just, I was just at my brother's work and I was buying, I was buying some stuff at his work and this guy, you know, he was like kind of a big spender there. So people are just kind of listening to him cause he spends a lot of money. And then he's like, you know, we need to have a conversation because you know, that's something that we're missing. And I'm like, yeah, you know, here's a, you know, you're making good points, man, but you're, you're saying let's have a conversation, but then all you're doing is cutting everybody off. <laughs> right. <laughs> let's have a conversation and I'll talk. <laughs> Pretty much. And then he, like, and then he, he continued to like, like skew things and skew things. And it was, uh, I just think it's kind of interesting because I, like the whole, my journey of getting on freedom and, and, and like starting to read and educate myself, which ultimately led me to doing this podcast was I, I started reading some crazy books and I, I kind of watched, I listened to a whole lot of Alex Jones at one point in time. And then I was like, all right, he's a little bit crazy. I'm going to kind of scale back from that. And, and, and then I started to just kind of learn to really process information for myself. Like I'd read something and I'd say, okay, well, I see their point, but I, I disagree with them for these reasons. But it was still interesting to hear what they had to say. Yeah. But I, I feel like, you know, when, when, what's interesting to me is like there's a, there's a lot of, on both sides of like the left and right spectrum of this, this complete war machine within our own country of like, I guess, political just debating instead of conversating um what i feel like what they do is they they take parts of the truth from like what the truth really is or just what like a civil civil conversating and they they just they try to like point out actual problems but then they they put their own crappy political spin on it if that makes Mm -hmm. sense and uh, hopefully i'm not like talking in circles here but um but, and, and, well, I, and we see that a lot with uh, with our opponents um, and they just they make stuff up. <laughs> and, and what's so sad is that they're the same myths that they were talking about back in 94 and 97 when Oregon was passing this law. And they stick to them, even though they don't have a shred of evidence to back them up. Uh, it's really confusing to me. Do you, do you think it's, it's, it's a, like, it's a fear, like, it's like a fear of, I, it's definitely fear, but I don't know what they're afraid of. And like, I think they're trying to create fear. I think that at the root of it, they disagree with these laws because of their own personal beliefs. And in order to get others to agree with them, they scare them. Yeah. But that's like the tactic of of every propaganda in this country. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's and like, it, it kind of bugs me because it's, it's been legally like, I mean, I guess they've legally made it so they can do propaganda like willingly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it's, it's just scary to me because so many people don't think for themselves. And I, and I think, I think ultimately like that's what it comes down to is people aren't, like people are afraid it's like they hide behind their i, I don't want to attack religion at all and it and it's kind of going to sound like w- with what i'm saying so i want to make sure I, I word this correctly 
But sometimes I feel like people hide behind their religious beliefs for things that they don't know. And I think people are afraid of the unknown and especially the afterlife. And I, and like one of my, one of my good friends, like he saw how to die in Oregon and, and, and another movie from Europe, it was either German or Swedish. It was like a foreign film and it, it touched on the same thing. And it was in this class of uh, the psychology of death and dying mm-hmm. and just about how people like why it, it basically like the class just just discussed like why people get so freaked out about other people. Yeah. And, and and I and I think it's important because I like I went on my own journey of trying to deal with in grief and grief is no joke. It never is. I mean, we were having a conversation before we started report about grief and in mm-hmm. in its own way. And, and I think that's. I think that's, I don't, I don't really know what I think that is. You were about to say something though. So I'll, I'll let you. Talk. Oh no, go ahead. <laughs> I didn't really have anything to add there. It's interesting because it's like, we are so afraid of the unknown and, and I feel like we, we tend to, and, 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 uh, and I don't want people to think that I'm, I'm like attacking because I have my own spiritual beliefs. Like a lot of people kind of accuse me of being like an atheist, but I'm totally not. I'm just a skeptic and I'm always going to be a skeptic. But I think that like people's fear of not knowing what goes on in the afterlife, like really fuels, um, is really fuels the opposition of this of death with dignity. Yeah, I think that it does easily play into that. Um, and and that again, that's why so many people that come to support us initially is because they have witnessed a, a difficult death um, of a loved one or or someone really close to them. Yeah. Um, and it so and it's actually another interesting piece about religion. So the biggest funder of our opposition is uh, the Catholic Church and Catholic organizations. But interestingly enough, when you poll Catholics themselves, you'll find the majority of them support these laws. Uh, so it's the 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 organization doesn't, but people within the religion have their own ideas about how they want to die. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I feel like most uh, most agnostics I know go to Catholic church. Like like cuz I the only reason why I say that is cuz I was one for years. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the Catholic church. Like I Yeah, me too. Yeah, like I was <laughs> <laughs> The ritual. I got all the rituals down. <laughs> yeah, it's like the it's like the uh, the comfort in the ritual um the, it's like the comfort in the ritual is more of what they what they like to do it's it's the you know the sit up the stand up sit down thing um which i mean and i'm not trying to hate on it either like i think there's there's definitely good things that you can get out of it and i and i don't want people to twist it like absolutely and the catholic church does some amazing work to to help the poor and and people in need i they they do some incredible work i just wish that they the church itself would stay out of other people's decisions about end of life care just government like they i don't think that they like there's a separation of church and state for a reason. And I think yep. the interesting thing about that, it was actually churches who wanted the separation of church and state. Oh, interesting. And I guess it was uh, my friend, Mick Guzman. He, he told me that because I guess it was because they wanted their own freedom to practice their religion because they'd been told by the church of England that you can only have, you can only practice this religion. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. Um, but uh, what, before, I don't know. I'm kind of talking in circles, Melissa. My apologies for not being more organized. I'm still uh, still an amateur at this, Melissa. So thank you. <laughs> kind of like say because you said that they were lies, and I think you're about to touch on it. And I probably I probably took this conversation a different direction by accident. What kind of lies do people say about um, 
about death with dignity? The I'd say the the one I hear most commonly is uh, well, two that I hear very commonly is slippery slope. So by passing these laws, it's going to open up the gates to euthanasia, and and people are just going to be killed willy-nilly. But you know, again, Oregon's law has been in effect for 16 years, and in order to change it, it would take a act by the legislative body or by a ballot initiative approved by the voters, and that's not happened. There's been no effort to change these laws in all that time, and there's not going to be any effort. People like the law the way it is. It works. There's no question about it. Uh, The other one is elder abuse. And again, there's just no evidence of this at all because it's it's not necessarily an easy request process. It's it's a long one. It takes three requests and has to be witnessed by two people, one of whom can't be related to the individual uh, requesting the medication. Uh, the diagnosis has to be confirmed by two doctors. People decide whether or not to take the medication, and a third of the people who received the prescription never end up taking the medication. Elder abuse—that is the craziest. Like, <laughs> I don't. I, so basically, like people are just trying to kill their older relatives. That's right. what they say. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the one that looks like. Gosh, if you could just watch How to Die in Oregon. Yeah. You'll really see a different story. <laughs> These people are making their own decisions about this. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think a lot of people. It's. I think. I think the the fear of losing. I think like the whole idea. Well, I've I've tried to get. Let me start over. So I've tried to get a lot of people out of it, Oregon, and they are just like, I'm not gonna be able to watch. I don't through that experience. I know that it's important. But I, I don't want to, and I think that's strange. Like I think that people, I, I think it's it's interesting that people don't want to, kind of feel those sad feelings of, and, and I think it's, and I think again, I think it goes to, the kind of the the psychology of death at dying and people not knowing how to, I mean nobody really knows how to handle death appropriately. Like because grief is yeah. never convenient. And I think you know I know personally when I watched it, like yeah, a lot of painful memories came up, but. You know, I think it's important that we go through those that pain and and kind of deal with it. Well, and understand that death is a part of life. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a phase of life, um, and it it's unfortunately death is still a very taboo subject to talk about. Um, gosh, on on Twitter, probably the majority of people I interact with on Twitter are somehow involved in hospice. Uh, some support what we advocate for and some don't uh, but where we all come together and agree is geez people we need to talk about death and dying and if you talk about it then we can all die better because we'll have more idea of how each other want to want to die uh, document our wishes and talk about them and you know it's not an easy conversation to have but I think you'll find once you start it it's actually, it takes a weight off and it's a huge gift that you can give to your loved ones for them to know what you want when you're dying. Yeah, I agree. And I think it, it makes the, the process uh, way more. And, and that's a weird thing too, is like the way people get kind of selfish. Um, other people get selfish when other people die. And, yes, often, and that's, <laughs> unfortunately. Thing too, and and I, and I think it's just because it's it's you know you don't always have the most emotional intelligence when you're going through that, but it's, 
I've seen some really disgusting things like uh, just with amongst families of my loved ones that have passed away. And that's it's a crazy thing. And I, and I think, it, again, it goes back to having conversations and it goes back to, excuse me, being emotionally intelligent about death and, and everything else like that. Um, yeah, that's. Yeah, those conversations made all the difference in the world for my family. Uh, when my grandma, my grandma had, she had a, a pretty long, slow decline due to d- dementia over the course of, oh gosh, six to eight years. And what saved us all in the end was that we had talked about what she wanted for her end of life options before that started happening. So that when her body just decided, it didn't want any more food or, or liquid, we could, we knew without a doubt, all of us knew without a doubt that what she would want is not to go into a hospital or an ICU and, and have tubes hooked up to her. She would want to die peacefully with hospice. Uh, there was just no confusion among any of us. It was, it was just such a relief. Yeah, it definitely is. My uh, man, I, I'm kind of scared just because my aunt's, like she's only in her fifties and she has early dementia and it's really bad. Yeah. And it's like really, I guess it's kind of common in my family because my mom's biological mom just passed away and she had dementia. So that's kind of a, it's a scary thing for me, but I mean, if it happens, it's going to happen. And I think, yeah, yeah. And you know, just to, and this is an area where people often wonder, well, why wouldn't you allow death with dignity laws to cover dementia or Alzheimer's? Well, because you just don't know, how you're going to feel once you get to that point. Um, Maybe you're, you're completely blissful and happy and, and it's all okay. (laughs) You you don't know that that would be your decision to die at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a strange thing though. And I I think there could be, there could be a lot of discussion about that too, because you know, you could always argue, well, that's not really that person anymore. Like it, you'll have some faint moments of them and, they're, but they're, they're not who they, and my mom worked in an Alzheimer's home for years and I did a lot of yeah. work and, and it was always weird because like my mom really loved a lot of her, like, you know, the people that were in the home, but these people were totally different people. And my mom kind of, my mom had said something to me before because like uh, she really loved this one patient in particular who had passed away and uh she was really sad but then my mom had said something and she didn't realize that what she had said is was insensitive to who the gentleman was before she knew him because she only knew him when he had alzheimer's and and i think it was uh it's it's just kind of an interesting thing and i and i think like for me personally like i i would kind of like to have that option if i was getting dementia um and i knew i did and and i know it's it's kind of a it's a taboo thing to say but i know for me personally like i I very much so would like to have that option, and and I'm not trying to say that we it should be covered in death with dignity, but um, for me, like I, I guess I kind of am just for me, and it's it's a selfish reason, but I I see the other perspective too because if I have it, most of the time you don't really understand how bad you have it. Yeah. No, my aunt definitely doesn't. Like she knows she has it, but like, like uh, she told me literally probably a hundred times that she always wanted to be a cop, and I mm-hmm. I would pretend like I never knew and and it and it made her really happy to tell me that yeah and it's kind of weird because my my mom and my aunt weren't really that close before my aunt got dementia and my mom became her caretaker 
And then it was really interesting because I kind of saw both of them knowing that we didn't really get along before. Let's make the most of our time now. And it was kind of cool to see because my aunt really did like tell my mom some things like how much she appreciated, which I don't think she did before. And so I don't know, like I, it's, 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 it really is an interesting, uh, it's, it's interesting and and it's easy for me to say that now, but I don't know, just like what you said, I don't know what, who I'm going to be if that ever did happen to me. So it's, or what decision, knowing that I have dementia, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it's a tricky thing. It's a, it's a tricky thing. So, uh, but I mean, it's, it's, it needs to be discussed. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, in in the U.S., you'll just never see that added to to the death with dignity laws. It just gets too close to euthanasia, and people in the U.S. we found really just want to control their own death, and not have that decision in the hands of someone else. Is that why they're so afraid of euthanasia? Yes, absolutely. And Jack of Orkin. All right. Yep. Well, Melissa, I have to get ready for work. I have to go. Put <laughs> so, couple pieces of radiation. That people talking to. Um, thank you so much for being on. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, oh, absolutely! Thank you so much for you know giving me the the opportunity to share what we do and and what our laws are. It's this is a huge piece of of helping more people understand why these laws are necessary. And I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. What, uh, real quick, any anything you want to promote right now? Anything uh, you said something about the uh, the court hearing? Um, right. Uh, I actually need to write a blog post about that and get that ready <laughs> so uh, and learn more about it. But I believe, yes, on, on Wednesday, and you can actually listen to a lot of the Vermont State House debates online, live streaming, if you just go to, I think they do it through their, their public radio station. Awesome. So vpr.org, and then they have Listen to the Legislative, legislative Session live. Uh, and I'll I'll probably get a blog post up in the next day or so about it. So always feel free to come back to our website, deathwithdignity.org, uh, to get the latest news and information about what's going on in the movement. And we also conveniently have boxes on the right side to either make a donation or sign up with your email address to stay connected. That's awesome. Um, anything else? Can they like you on Facebook? Can they? Absolutely. Yes, please join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we actually do a weekly uh, a tweet chat once a week on Thursdays. It's at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So just join in the conversation on Twitter. And it's not always about death with dignity laws. It's often about various aspects of death and dying and grieving. Interesting. I need to, I've been meaning to get on there. And I know quite a few times I'm just always... I'm usually busy with something that I'm like, man, I forgot. I wanted to really get involved with that. Um, but anyways, thank you again, everybody, for tuning in the sample. Uh, Melissa, if you wouldn't mind just sticking around real quick afterward. Just wanted to say goodbye to you off, off the recording. And, yeah, you bet. And uh, everybody, follow us on Twitter. Uh, like and favorite, subscribe, make comments on our podcast. We always appreciate it. Um, thank you again, at Ray Taylor. Thank you, Inspired Disorder Collective. Follow at IDC Updates. Join the Inspired Disorder Collective. And thank you guys very much. Uh, I don't even know what to rap. Stratus. Uh, uh, what if it never happened?
shirt rapping, never happened. People clapping, nah, never happened. Soto told me I could go platinum, never happened. Me, I'm mapping my way around this bitch. Steady yapping, talking shit, laughing. Big cigar to captain, but I'm the only nigga on the boat. Waves crashing. Sometimes I feel like Charlie Chaplin, people laughing. And I'm just bouncing around the house in my funny hat. And I think these niggas whacking. You should send a pack, and this is like a call to action, dude. It like a passion. I'm on the sidelines, the shadows are the main attraction. I'm like the guy in a party that comes and gets a cracking. I used to take the ferry from Manhattan out to Staten, Shaolin. This was back when anything could happen in between Ace and Dazzle. Big Steve passing, blunts back and forth, bitch macking. I'm always rapping, some shit happened with some kid, I heard Nip smack him Couple bitches got fucked, you know this, that, and the third never happened But if it did, Ace is packing, they been smoking dust, competing with the music blasting This girl froze up on the whip and we end up crashing Will started traveling and we was gaining traction But we was asses in the way that we was acting Started telling each other what to do instead of asking That's just my side of it, you want the rest, you need to ask him Back when Dredd was driving fast, I had the Jeep and drove it into Hong Kong in traffic with a seatbelt fastened Motherfucker maniac and that's my niggas for you No matter how crazy shit happen We just end up laughing But if something ever real happen Shit, make sure you know it's real life And just ill rapping That's real From 